Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study, um, where we will study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Maria F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm from County Dublin in Ireland, and I'll be your host for today's study. Our co-hosts today are Sue L. and Audrey N. If you have any questions or any concerns during the meeting, please contact either the host or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. And please note that the speaker today, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the Q&A sessions which follows will not be recorded. And we'll put a link to the previous recordings in the chat function. This week is currently week number 109. We ask that if you can please keep your microphones on mute at all times during today's study, and also please turn off your video if you're exercising, you're eating, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason, please do disconnect your camera. So now we will turn the meeting over to Harlan G. Good morning, Harlan. Good morning, Maria. Thank you so much. Not only thank you to you, Maria, but to Audrey and, and to anyone else, I don't, uh, Sue L, I think is here, and anyone else, Nancy J, who does service. I don't want to leave any, I shouldn't mention names because then I end up leaving people out, Lauren N or whoever's here, I can't see. But uh, whoever's here that does service, thank you so much for putting this meeting together and for the recordings. I get such beautiful feedback. People call me from all over creation telling me that they're listening to those recordings and that it's making some sort of a difference. So I really, really appreciate all your services that make that possible on both uh, uh, iTunes, not iTunes, on uh, scottsdalebigbook.com and uh, YouTube or whatever we're on. So that's very good. We are talking about chapter four, we agnostics. What is an agnostic? An agnostic is someone who is really not sure. Ag means without and gnostic means knowledge, without knowledge. And if you notice, and I know I say this every week and I say it every week because it's important. An atheist is a, is a person who does not believe in a religious deity up there in the sky with a long white beard. And a believer doesn't necessarily believe that there's a guy up there with a big white beard either, but a believer has a belief that there is a religious deity in a place other than earth, usually heaven, and that they are the supreme beings, something like that. And that is where most of us fall into. Most of us fall into either we're believers, we may be angry at God, we may be disappointed in God, we may be puzzled by God, we may be confused by some of the things we see out here, because sometimes we try or I try to put human common sense into some of the things that I see and that I found out that that just cannot be done. There are going to be things that are going to happen here on earth that are not explainable by my logic. And if God were small enough for me to understand, he would not be large enough to solve my problem. 
So we have the atheist, we have the believer. Can they both recover? You bet they can. You bet they can. Because all that's needed here is a willingness to believe. You don't even have to believe. You just have to be willing to believe that there is a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. That's all that's required to make a beginning. And if you're around here long enough and you are in the Scottsdale meetings in the evening or you've been with me at workshops, you know that one of the things that I believe most strongly is that the two most underutilized steps are two and ten. And two and ten are the most underutilized because most of the time we fail to develop them and we have a step two that says came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can re would restore me, not can, would restore me to sanity. And that's a very definite uh, promise for me that this, this God, this, this higher power will restore me to sanity. And if we notice here, it doesn't say I believe that a, a power greater than myself or I'm willing to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me or would restore me, could restore me, I'm sorry, to abstinence or sobriety because see abstinence and sobriety have a much lower ceiling. Sane people act sanely and insane people act insanely. What is the difference? Insanity is defined as incompleteness of mind and sanity is wholeness of mind. Sane people do not put M&Ms or Reese's peanut butter cups in their mouth when they've identified that they are indeed compulsive overeaters and that they have suffered the torture and the hellacious consequences of a disease like compulsive overeating. They just don't do that. Sane people take care of their bodies, they take care of their minds, they practice their hygiene, they have normal relationships with healthy people, they do the best they can to take care of themselves in both body and mind. But he wrote, he wrote the chapter, We Agnostics, and he didn't say you agnostics, those agnostics, to the agnostic. He wrote the chapter, we agnostics. Why is he assuming that we are agnostics? Because even in the most fervent believer, there are often pockets of agnosticism. And this is a... <clears throat> This is a category that I have fallen into many, many times during my life. I have always believed that there was a God. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm orthodox in my religious practice. It doesn't mean that I follow every commandment of the 613 commandments in the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that I do that. But what it means is I have an awareness that there is that God and I have always accepted that. But I have not always accepted the fact that he or it or she or that thing which is in heaven or Israel or wherever you want to put that deity or that being would solve my food problem or would concern itself with my personal problems, my loneliness or my lack of money or my 
insecurities or my social anxiety or my whatever. So I have always doubted that God could and would if he were sought, because I thought that as I had an antagonistic relationship with God, I always assumed that God had an antagonistic relationship with with me. And that is certainly not the case because I blamed God for so much. See, I really hate talking about this chapter, and I especially hate talking about the subject matter that we're going to cover this morning, because what we're going to cover this morning, after we get a little background going, is we're going to be on page 45 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we're going to start with the line on page 45 that says, lack of power. So just to let you know, no, that's where we're going to start, lack of power. But I want to give you some background before we begin this very, very important uh, uh, part of the book, because this morning we are going to read and study and we're going to ponder the thesis line of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we're going to see how important that line is. And what we're going to do first and foremost is we're going to look back on the doctor's opinion and we're going to look back here for just a second in the doctor's opinion and we're going to look at page XXIX and that is page 29 in Roman numerals. And in the very first paragraph of page 29 in Roman numerals, we see the words This is repeated over and over. I'm toward the bottom of that first paragraph on XXIX. It says, this is repeated. If you've gone to the paragraph that says, on the other hand, you've gone too far. Go up a few sentences and it says, this is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of his recovery. Psychic change for Dr. Silkworth is another way of saying a spiritual awakening or a spiritual experience. What is the difference between a spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening? A spiritual awakening is slow in developing like what I have, or a spiritual experience is sudden and profound and quick like what Bill had. And then we see on page uh, XXX, he says, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Now I'm gonna tie these things together. The psychic change and the abstinence are important to join together because unless I have an entire abstinence, I am not going to have a psychic change. And as much as I think that the drunk is altered, but I am not when I'm eating M&Ms. And once again, I don't know who's buying these plain M&Ms. Obviously, these are not Jewish people. I would not put those in my mouth. I like the ones with peanuts. So I don't know what you can put in your pipe and smoke it, but that's that's my that's my brand of M&Ms. I call it vitamin M. 
But the bottom line is here, in Bill's story, he realizes that he needs a psychic change or a spiritual experience. Very, very important. But let's take a look at page 20, uh, 27. And we are peeking in on page 27. I'm going to the paragraph, yes, replied the doctor on page 27. And what we're peeking into is a conversation that occurred in 1931. And in 1931, we are looking at a conversation between Dr. Jung, Dr. Carl Jung, J-U-N-G is Jung, and we're looking at who he's talking to is Roland Hazard. And Roland Hazard tried to get to Freud and Freud wasn't taking on any new patients. And he went to Adler and Adler wasn't taking on any new patients. Adler at that time was considered Freud's number one protege. And he was considered the number two man in the world of psychiatry. And then they said, well, there's Dr. Jung, but you'd have to go to Geneva, Switzerland. So he did. I almost said Geneva, Sweden, because I'm looking at Johan here. But anyway, he went to Geneva, Switzerland, and he went to see Dr. Jung. And Dr. Jung tells him on page 27, yes, replied the doctor, there is. He's asking about exceptions because Jung tells him you're going to die. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. Now, this is the second time that a doctor, one is a neurologist specializing in the treatment of alcoholism. The other is a psychiatrist in Switzerland. And they're saying the same thing, that in order for us to recover, we are going to have to have a vital spiritual experience. I have not had a spiritual experience. I have had a spiritual awakening. Now, indulge me, if you will, and go to page 43. And on page 43 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, in the very last paragraph, we are going to see a repetition. And you know that the purest form of teaching is through repetition. When a teacher really wants to drive something home, he or she will use repetition. And my teacher friend, tells me that that is called spiraling the information when you keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. Now, I want you to look at the last paragraph on page 43, and it says very simply, once more, see, he knows he's told you this before, he's telling you again, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. And we're gonna see that repeated on page 60, where it says, no human power could have relieved my alcoholism. We're gonna see these things repeated and repeated and repeated. And every time I read that sentence about another human being not being able to um, provide such a defense, I'm reminded of Karen Carpenter. 
I'm reminded of Mama Cass Elliot. I'm reminded of John Candy, Chris Farley. I'm reminded of Fatty Arbuckle. I'm reminded of President William Howard Taft. And these were people that had success. They had success to the point where you, if you are a certain age, now, if you don't know who they are, it means you're young and you need to Google them. But these were people that if you are over the age of say 50, 55, you know who these people were. They are all dead and they were taken out by this disease. Mama Cass Elliott weighed about 400 pounds at the time of her death. Karen Carpenter, same illness, same everything except a different side of the same coin, weighed 97 pounds at the time of her death. Karen Carpenter and Mama Cass Elliott, they had voices like angels. They sold millions and millions and millions of records, and they appeared on every TV show that you could possibly think of, and they were household names, and yet this disease spared them not. It just took them right out. Karen Carpenter died when she was 34 years old from anorexia and she, her heart blew apart and she was 34 years old. She weighed 94 pounds at the time of her death. But what, what let's go on here. It says his defense must come. See, it doesn't say it should come, doesn't say it could come, doesn't say it might come. It said his defense must come from a higher power. Now, let's go to page 45. And even before we're starting to read, I'm going to still give you a little bit of a little bit of information before we go into our reading today. And one of the things that I did in my life was I did not work step two as it was intended. And why do I say that? Came to believe means that I have to constantly work at it. I have to constantly work at it. And part of that means that for me, for me, I am not talking about you. I really hate talking about this chapter. I especially hate talking about this because all the questions come up of, well, what if I don't have a God that I believe in? Change your, change your perception in your mind. You can do it as easily as making a decision to change your perception of that higher power. Nobody's telling you that you have to switch religions. Nobody's telling you that you have to go live on a mountaintop in, in some god-awful place and study God knows what for the rest of your life and not wear shoes. Nobody's telling you that. Well, what I had to do, I'm talking about me now, I'm talking about the chubby kid from Chicago. What I had to do was I had to develop a different God because the God of my understanding was out to screw me over and was very, very small and not very powerful. I call that God the pipsqueak God. He could barely keep me abstinent, but he couldn't make it so that I could walk into a room and not fear people. He could barely keep me abstinent, but he wouldn't allow me to talk to women. He could 
could barely keep me abstinent, but he wouldn't allow me not to loathe myself. And he wouldn't allow me not to judge other people. And to, he wouldn't allow me to live in a world where someone was upset with me or someone didn't like me or whatever. So, or they liked a different kind of M&M than me. I can live in a world now where that is true because I know that God is extremely powerful and extremely present in my life and that that's really okay. That that's really okay. And as wrong as people are that like plain M&Ms, there's a place in this world for them as foolish and misguided as they are. That's okay. You know what? They will find their way through the forest. And one day they will come to say, plain M&Ms? Who in the world would buy that? My God. Anyway, enough Narishkite. Let's get right to the paragraph and let's understand that we have something here that is going to teach us what is the most important thing in life. Okay. Lack of power. I'm on page 45. That was our dilemma. What is a dilemma? A dilemma is a problem or a series of problems that is really in our way. We had to find a power by which we could live. And when they say live, they don't mean exist. Now, I want to stop right there. I know this sounds a little pedantic, but I want to stop right there. And what I want to say today is that abstinence for me cannot, must not be the most important thing in my life without exception. I'm going to say that one more time. I can hear some of you just going, oh, and just passing out because you hear this at meetings every day. Abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. There's not a, it's not even three blocks away. There is a place by my house called the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club. And they have a gift store there called Gift Sanan. And there was a guy, he hasn't been there for years. I don't know if he passed away or moved away, whatever. He had a bumper sticker on his uh, truck. He had a pickup truck and he had a bumper sticker in the back. Sobriety is the most important thing in my life without exception. And for me, that cannot be true. Sobriety, abstinence is like English 101. When I'm looking to get a college degree, I cannot finish English 101 and say, all right, give me my degree. They won't do it. I tried. They wouldn't do it. But without English 101, I cannot get a degree. If I don't pass English 101, I don't pass English 102, I cannot get a college degree at any reputable university in the United States. It's not going to happen. But abstinence cannot be the goal, the be all and the end all if I am going to live. So when he says we had to find a power by which we could live, what he is implying here is thrive. To live is to thrive. To exist is to just exist and get by one day at a time. You see, the use of words here is very, very important. God wrote the book. Bill, Bill just scribed it. I believe that. Always will. Bill, great man. Love him. You know, when they have those things, who would you like to have? If you could have lunch with anybody in the world, who would it be? 
Um, and I never have to hesitate. If I could have lunch with anybody in the world, it would be Bill Wilson, even though he's dead. I know he's dead. I get it. But if I could, if it could be arranged more than having lunch with some beautiful woman or more than having lunch with some uh, Ernie Banks or Babe Ruth or whatever, if I could have lunch with anybody that was ever alive, I would want to have lunch with Bill Wilson. I, no, not even close to anybody in second place. Bill Wilson would be my choice. But I believe that he, God wrote the book. A power by which I could live. And if I'm going to live, here's what I'm going to have to do. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves. It had to be a power greater than ourselves. So in order to live, which implies thriving, which implies that abstinence is going to be part of my recovered life. But wait, there's more. Remember when we would get those late night infomercials? But wait, there's more. And boy, does it catch fish. But, but wait, there's more. Obviously, but where and how am I to find this power? Now, the next sentence is the precursor to the thesis line of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So we're going to see here that abstinence, when we first come in, is a key. And when I first came in, and I don't have the background of anorexia or bulimia, but when I first came in, I would measure my success in the program by my success on the scale. I was very successful at the pay-in ways when I lost weight. So I just translated that into this language. And if somebody said to me at a meeting at Swedish Covenant Hospital in Chicago or Northwestern uh, Hospital downtown Chicago or the Lincoln Park Alano Club or the Howe meetings up in Evanston, Illinois, which is right outside Chicago or Skokie, I would say great because I knew that I had lost weight that week. And if I didn't lose weight that week, I would say, oh, I'm kind of struggling, but I'll be okay. That was my barometer. That was my thermometer. That's how I measured success was in weight loss. And at first, that's very appropriate because I must be at or approaching a healthy body weight. And I was so morbidly obese that I know that God in his infinite love for me and wisdom would not want me to maintain a level of extreme morbid obesity. But wait, there's more. And so today, because of this program, and we're going to be repeating this down the line, there is so much more to this than just weight loss or weight gaining or a sensible exercise plan or what have you. There is so much more. Let's read the precursor to the thesis line of the big book. It says, well, that's exactly what this book is about. Now, notice that the next sentence, which is the thesis line of the book, is not going to say the main object of this book is to find sobriety. The main object of this book is not to find abstinence. The main object of this book is not to whatever. Let's see what it does say. It says its main object is to enable you to find a power, capitalized, 
greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Notice it doesn't say problems plural, it says problems singular. And when that problem is dealt with, the spiritual malady, then everything else begins to improve. Do I still have challenges in my life? You bet I do. You can bet your last dollar that I have challenges in my life that are extremely, extremely challenging. But notice I didn't use the word debilitating. So let's take a look now at page XIII. Keep your finger on page 45. Go back to page XIII. And what I want you to be sure you're in is the forward to the very first edition. The forward to the first edition, X-I-I-I. And let's take a look at the third sentence or the second, I think it's the second sentence in. And what we see there is to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. Is that consistent with what we just read, which is the main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem? You bet it is. Because in finding how we, excuse me, in doing what we need to do to recover, you will not only find your higher power, but you will improve dramatically your relationship with that higher power because this is a God-based program. This is a program where you are going to be called upon to establish a relationship with a power greater than yourself. And if you do not do that, you will not recover. You will just treat this as another diet. Now, I don't mean that you have to be religious. I don't mean that you have to believe in a certain God or a certain religion. You indeed do not. There is nothing in this program, nothing in this book, nothing in this life that is going to compel you to believe in something that is objectionable to you. Let's go to page 20 in Arabic numerals, which is in the chapter, There is a Solution. I'll give you a second to get to page 20. <clears throat> Okay, we're on page 20, and we see the last sentences, the two last two sentences of the first paragraph. There's a paragraph that says, you may already have asked yourself, go to the last two sentences of that paragraph. If you are an alcoholic who wants to get over it, you may be asking, what do I have to do? Let's continue. It says, it is the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. So we've been told that this book is to show you precisely how to recover. And now it's going to say to answer such questions specifically. Is that consistent? Let's go back to page 45. You bet that's consistent because that's what this is about. Now, I'm going to repeat something that I've already talked about, but I want to expand on it just a little bit more. When God, spirituality, what have you, is in my life, again, I want to be very clear how I, when I say God, I mean God 
as I perceive God. I perceive God, not how you have to perceive him or her or it or them or those or whatever it is you are comfortable with. I want to be very clear. I am not here to to prescribe for you what God is or what God is not. For me, there are today being Saturday, there are going to be rabbis, there are going to be theologians, there are going to be clergy people, there are going to be historians, there are going to be poets, there are going to be musicians that are going to wild the light, wild the daylight away today, discussing and pondering what God is and what God is not. Let them have at it for me. This is for me, not for you, for me. This is what I need to have. For me, there are two things that I need to know about God. Two, only two. One, there is one. Two, it's not me. And if I can proceed into this day knowing there is a God and it's not me, that simple basic knowledge keeps me grounded. Now, I can find abstinence and not find God. I can be stark, raving abstinence, following a food plan, and I've done it. I've done it. I was a king of one of the pay-in ways. I was a king of another pay-in way. I have dieted down. I went on my first diets when I was single digits years old. When I was nine years old, you know this if you've been around me, I was on diet pills when I was nine years old and I would go to the doctor and he would weigh me and I'd be losing weight and losing weight. Everybody was so happy, happy days are here again. Oh, Harlan's losing weight. That meant to them that I was getting it and I was getting smart rather than stupid. I was getting it. I was wising up. I was going to have a great life because all that you need to be is thin and everything is okay. Isn't that true? I mean, that's what I was told. That's what the doctors told me. That's what my mother and father told me. That's what everybody in my environment told me, that if you are thin, you will never have another problem as long as you live. And I went on that assumption. And I found that losing weight was great. I loved the way I looked, but I hated the way I felt. And I felt more suicidal then than I probably felt when I was, you know, whatever because I had no outlet for all these fears and these, the guilt and the shame and the remorse that I felt and the self-loathing that I felt. And the image of myself as either being better than others or worse than others. If you were female, you scared me to death. Some You still do if you're attractive, but if you were female, you scared me to death. I didn't know how to live in this world. So losing weight didn't equip me for those things. Now stay with me here for just a minute because I just got through telling you that I still have challenges. But when I work a program of spiritual of, of, of spiritual nature, I work my program, all of a sudden I catch a glimpse of myself in a mirror or in a store window and I don't hate what I see. All of a sudden, I can think to myself, you know, Harlan, you're smart. 
you can figure this out. Or you know what? Maybe you better call so-and-so. Maybe you have, if you want more information on this, you better go to YouTube and see if they have a video on it. I had a, uh, I, I'm sitting on an office chair that I bought at Office Depot. And you know how these chairs go? And the, the, there's a hydraulic thing in there and sometimes it breaks and breaking furniture is like a, a nightmare for me because when I was way up in weight, I broke a lot of furniture. Well, anyway, I broke this Fakakta thing here, this hydraulic thing. So I said, okay, what am I going to do? I don't want to go out and buy another chair. These freaking chairs are, are four, five, six hundred dollars for crying out loud. I don't want to go spend that much money. So I went to YouTube. And I said, all right, blah, 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 blah. And it said, this is the clamp that you get. This is how you put it on. This is where you buy the clamp. This is the size clamp. And then you get tape, duct tape, and you do this and you wrap it around, blah, blah, blah. I'm sitting on the chair and we're doing good. But when I first saw the chair was broken, the first thing out of my mouth, the first thing in my brain, not out of my mouth, the first thing in my brain is, I'm at fault here. I screwed up. It broke because I'm fat. It didn't break because I'm fat. It broke because I've been sitting on this Fakakta chair for years and it finally wore out and it broke. So I went to the hardware store and I went and I bought duct tape. Why anybody needs to tape a duck is beyond my wildest imagination. Who in the hell spends their days taping a duck? What did that poor duck ever do to you? I still don't get it. I still don't understand what these poor ducks did to deserve all these people that want to tape them. I don't get it. But anyway, I bought the tape and I bought the clamp and I got a uh, screwdriver. I don't have too many tools. I'm a Jewish boy. I don't. The way I fix things is I make a phone call to somebody. I don't know from fixing anything. Are you kidding me? What does a Jewish woman make for dinner? Reservations. So the bottom line is I'm figuring out, do I have a screwdriver? Yes, I did. And it worked in the clamp. Okay, fine. I put the clamp on. I tighten it up and I tighten it up and I'm cursing and swearing because I got to lift up this fakakta chair. Then I'm going and I'm getting the tape and I'm cutting the tape and it's sticking to me more than it's sticking to the thing. But finally, finally, I got it fixed. In the days before program, I would have thrown the chair out in the garbage, bought another chair and wasted five, six hundred bucks. It is now that's a silly example, isn't it? Isn't that a crazy example of how program works? Not to me. Not to me, because that's sanity. You break it. You don't just go out and replace it. If it can be fixed, fix the damn thing. You don't need a degree from Harvard in mechanical engineering or MIT to fix a stupid chair. But when I'm sane rather than insane, the panic the panic and the anger do not override everything else. And I was able to fix the chair. I'm sitting on the chair. I still have a bunch of duct tape here. So if anybody needs to tape a duck, which I can't understand why you'd need to tape a duck, I have more than, I have miles of unused duct tape and the chair is fine. So, how does that translate? It translates in because I know now 
that if I'm just patient enough to relax, everything's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. I just have to take the next indicated action. Now, losing weight, if abstinence were the most important thing in my life without exception, none of the other problems that I face on an everyday basis would be solvable because I'll let you in on a secret. I'll let you in on a secret. In order to do the workshops that I have done over the years, from the time I lived in Chicago, from the time that I moved here, by the time I whatever, I am scared of flying. And I am a, a gold standard American airline. I'm gold, gold standard, gold. Why? Because I'm so wonderful? No, because I fly so many miles. Now, I didn't fly during the pandemic, obviously, because there were no workshops. There was nothing to fly. Everything was here on Zoom. So all I got to do is turn on the computer and I'm wherever it is you want me, whether it be Sweden, whether it be Ireland, Israel, doesn't matter. I'm there. I'm scared of flying. And I'll let you in on another secret. You take me out of my ritual and routine, take me out of my bed, out of my kitchen, out of my chair, away from my television set, away from my house, my ritual and my routine. I am scared when I meet a bunch of brand new people because, you know, you go to these places and sometimes I know them. Like if I go to Dublin, I know Maria. I've been with Maria. I've been with Maria at convention. I've been with Maria here in Arizona. I have talked to Maria. Maria and I have a relationship where we we know each other, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a nice way. But a lot of times when I go, let's just say I'm going to Dublin or I'm going to Timbuktu and I don't know anybody, that can be very scary for me. How do I walk through that without M&Ms, with peanuts? How do I walk through that? I walk through it because I know that God is with me. Will abstinence bring that about? No. No. Will mere losing, will merely losing weight bring that about? No. Sometimes I am called upon to look at my balance in my checkbook. And it is not as healthy as I would like to see it. My business has not been stellar this year. I'm hoping it'll rally in the fourth quarter and it looks like it's gonna, but if it doesn't, I'm gonna have a down year and I'm 68 years old. And I don't have a working wife or a work, you know, somebody, I'm here alone. I'm gonna be just fine. I'm going to be just fine. I still have to pay my taxes. When invitations come in for weddings or bar mitzvahs or christenings or God knows what, I still got to cut a check. I still have obligations that need money to fulfill those obligations. How do I walk through that? I walk through it because I know that where God guides, God provides. At my base level, I hate myself. 
No one has let me down more than me. No one has lied to me as successfully as I have. No one has lied to others like I have. Well, that's not true. That's my ego. No one has heaped as much guilt and shame on me for getting caught in lies as I have. In my mind, I am a secret eater. I am a scared manipulator. I'm as selfish as the day is long. I'm as self-centered and self-seeking as the day is long. And I do not care about anything or anyone except food when I'm in the food. All I want is more, 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 and more. I do not know how to care about another person when I'm in the food. And when I'm in the, when I'm not in the food, that still doesn't solve that problem. But by working a program and by giving my life and my will over to the care of God in steps four through 12 on an everyday basis, I know, I don't think, I don't suspect, I know that when that phone rings and I'm on the business phone trying to make a sale and that is a program person, my job is to finish the business call that I'm on. That's fine. I don't have to just hang up on a person. But when that call is done, hold on. When that call is done, my job, is to remember that God said there's going to be interruptions in your personal life and your business life. My job is to answer that call. And then in answering that phone call for those three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, whatever the heck it is, I'm not worried about, oh, poor me. Oh, no, my chair is broken. Oh, poor me. I am closer to God and further away from a Reese's peanut butter cup. Notice I didn't say M&Ms because I'm trying to avoid the controversy. What kind of person buys plain M&Ms? I still, I can't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But anyway, that aside, so it says here, the main object, its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Now, when the spiritual malady is overcome, I will recover physically and emotionally. And when I do that, when I have a transition in my life that says, you are now a different person, and I think back to the third step, and it says on page 63, we were reborn. I'm trying to tie a lot of things together here this morning, because this is the necessity of the understanding of what we're reading. When it says we were reborn, this ties right into this. Now, I know we're not at page 63 yet, but I'm assuming most of you have seen page 63. It says, we were reborn. I am not the same person. You know, in, 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 in uh, physics, there's a chemical change and a physical change. The physical change is, let's say I take a piece of paper and I tear up the piece of paper. That's a physical change. But let's say I take sodium and chloride and I mix them together, NaCl, and now I've got salt. I've made something completely different by combining these chemicals. In my life, I am now a different 
person. Uh, my roots are grasping a new soil. I am not self-loathing. I am less self-centered. I didn't say I'm not self-centered. I'm less selfish. I'm less fearful. I'm less angry. I'm less dangerous to myself and others when I work this program. I choose to pray. I choose to work the steps. I choose to do my writing every day. I choose to believe that there is a God and that that God is to me something that may be very different than it is to you. And that that's okay. That's all right. I was raised in a particular religion I'm not looking for another religion. I'm not looking to, to refute the teachings of my mom and my dad and the customs that have been passed down to me for 6,000 years. I'm not looking for that. But that doesn't have to be what you believe and that that's all right. And we can coexist as long as that God meets this criteria, that it is a power greater than myself. All that's needed is a willingness to believe that there is a power greater than myself. That's all that's necessary to make my beginning. So if there is a point I want to make this morning, it's that we must transcend between dieting with group support where food and weight and food and weight and food and weight and food and weight are the only thing that we're looking at as those measurements of success. And we must look beyond that because poo-poo is going to happen. I'm, I know that I have a friend in, of mine in OA that has just lost her job. And she's scared and she's hurt and she's worried. She's going to be okay. And I have other friends in my, of mine in this program. They're dealing with a child who just got divorced. And I'm dealing with friends of mine whose little grandchildren, one of them has just been diagnosed as being severely autistic. There was something with this kid and they, they didn't want us, they didn't want him measured. They didn't want him looked at, but he is absolutely severely autistic and they are just beside themselves. And everybody that knows them is trying to assure them that doesn't mean he's going to have a lousy life. He's going to have a great life. He has a God. He has all these resources. He has all these things that the city of Chicago and the city of Northbrook, Illinois can give him. And he is going to be taken care of. And there's wonderful facilities in Northbrook, Illinois, for kids like this. And he's going to be okay. He's just going to travel a little bit of a different path. I don't hate the world. I don't want to die. I want to live. I want to live because there is a God and that God fills me with a desire to live. When I was seven years old, six years old, I wanted to die a lot more than I wanted to live. I'm 68 years old. I've had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps and I want to live. I don't know how much more time I have left, but I'm going to promise you that I'm going to spend whatever the 
hell time I have left believing that there is a power greater than myself and that when I die, I'll go to a better place. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're sitting here and you're laughing at me going, oh, you idiot. This is it. There's no God. There's no nothing. What do I have to lose by believing? What do I have to lose? And if it gives me a better life while I'm alive, then I say, for me, it's the best of all things. I choose to believe that there is a power greater than me that will solve my problem. Chuck Chamberlain is one of my heroes. Chuck Chamberlain was a famous AA circuit speaker, and he wrote a book called A New Pair of Glasses. He was Clancy Imaslin's sponsor. And Clancy is one of my heroes. You've always heard me say that. I think that when Clancy Imaslin was alive, there was like so much recovery more than there was after he was gone. And he will never, ever, ever be able to be replaced, nor will Chuck Chamberlain, nor will Bill Wilson, Dr. Bob, Ebby, all these guys. They all, when they died, maybe not so much Abby, but when they died, it was like a museum burning to the ground and we can't replace any of the artifacts. Chuck Chamberlain said this repeatedly. He said, there is only one character defect, one problem, and that is conscious separation from God. And there is only one solution, and that is conscious contact with God. I'm going to repeat that because I know it's going to come up in Q&A. Chuck Chamberlain said there is only one problem in life, one defective character in life, one challenge in life, and that is conscious separation from God. And there is only one solution, and that is conscious contact, conscious enjoyment to God. Very, very important. It's an important concept. So you see that the mere abstinence, the mere cessation of compulsive overeating is not going to take away my desire to, to die. Many of us have had suicidal thoughts. Some of us have tried it. I'm not condoning that, but why wouldn't we? Everything we've tried blew up in our face. Life didn't seem like it was worth living. The self-loathing, the self-doubt, the anger, the fear, the overwhelming fear that I lived with is not unique out, is not unique unto me. We all have it. Some of us look very acceptable on the outside, Some, especially the gals. Some of you gals are absolutely stunning. You would never know that there's a, there's a tempest going on inside you. But if there wasn't, you wouldn't be here. You would not be here today. You'd be out doing what, whatever it is you wanted to do. So we have a program. And the program is so much more, so much greater, so much more comprehensive than just eating and not eating, puking and not puking, over-exercising and not over-exercising, that it is beyond the comprehension of many. That if all we're going to do is put this in a situation where all we're doing is 
eating and not eating. We are selling it short and we are not living, we are existing. What is the point of living if I'm so hooked into what I can eat, when I can eat it, that I can't think about anything else? What is the point of me eating lunch at, say, noon, and by 12.20, I'm counting the seconds until I can eat dinner? That's not living. That is existing. That is not living. And let's continue because we're almost out of time. And that is shocking to me because every time I check that clock, I want to plot because it's so much later than I think it is. That means we have written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. What does moral mean? It means true. It doesn't have anything to do with morality. It means true. And it means, of course, that we are going to talk about God. Here, difficulty arises with agnostics. Many times we talk to a new man and watch his hope rise as we discuss his alcoholic problems and explain our fellowship. But his face falls when we speak of spiritual matters, especially when we mention God, for we have reopened a subject which our man thought he had neatly evaded or entirely ignored. There are many among us who are very religious people, go to church on Sunday, synagogue on Saturday, whatever, you're, or they go to the mosque, or they go to whatever it is you believe in. And they have the same difficulty because they will have pockets of agnosticism that blind faith in any religion will not get me recovered. I must have a spiritual program in addition to or in or in yeah, in addition to a religious, or you don't have to have a religious program, I must have a spiritual program. What is the difference? One is a series of obediences and beliefs that religion produces, and that's fine. I'm not knocking that, that's great. You know, that's a foundation of our civilization for crying out loud. But I must do more than just sit there and pray. If I went to the synagogue on Saturday morning and prayed until the wall fell in, I'm not gonna so I'm not gonna be in recovery. I have to take action after action after action after action to help others, or I'm not gonna recover. Let's go to page 14 in the big book of AA page 14. Now, I told you when we did Bill's story that this paragraph is so standalone that I could come to your town and do a workshop just on this paragraph alone. And how I want to close today is by an examination of this paragraph, because this paragraph is an instruction, and it's a warning, and it's a promise, and it's everything you could ever want right in one paragraph. Let's take a look at it. It's at the bottom of page 14. My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. What are the principles? The principles are the steps. This stuff that you see now, the principle of this is honesty and the principle of this is is this, and that all came along decades later. Bill Wilson didn't know from this. 
Ebby and them, they didn't know. Dr. Bob never heard of that. Those are things that somebody came up with in the 70s. The principle of this is this. No, when they say the principles, they're talking about the steps. Particularly, was it imperative? What does imperative mean? It means important above all else to work with others as he had worked with me. Again, again, and again, and again, you must work with others. Yes, you have to sponsor. You don't sponsor, you're working an 11-step program, you're not going to recover. Faith without works was dead, he said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. No matter how, this is Clancy Emerson's line, I'm stealing it. No matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. And as a human being, there are going to be things happening in my life that are going to be challenging, to say the least. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. That means if I don't get out there and work with other people, I am certain to eat again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. So we tie these things together because this is the program to tie the things together. To believe in God is not enough for step two. You have to work two and 10, two and 11, two and 12 are married. They're married. They're welded. They're bonded together. Nothing ensures immunity from drinking like intensive work with other alcoholics. So we see that when we come in here, yes, we're putting one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. We're giving up this and we're giving up that and we're going through the cupboard and we're going and we're reading the labels and we're sending pictures of our food to our sponsor. And, we're, and that's normal at first, but we have to go beyond that for a recovery. A recovery means that we go beyond the abstinence into a spiritual life. Very, very important. One is a diet, the other is recovery. You want the full Monty. Don't settle for the economy package because there's no such thing. You either recover or you don't. Now, I see that we're past time. We're going to pick this up next week with the next paragraph. We're going very slow here. Bear with me. I despise talking about this chapter. It is my least favorite chapter to talk about. I would rather talk about people putting ketchup on hot dogs at Carl's Hot Dogs on the South, on the south Side, South Shore of, of, uh, of Chicago. Uh, Carl's is a very famous, uh, I think it's still there. It's a famous uh, hot dog stand. We have a person that I, I've spoken to that lives in LA that was from South Shore. So that's why it came to mind. But the bottom line is, is that um, 
This is very important stuff. I hate talking about it, so please bear with me. There's a lot of subject I'd rather talk about than God, because I know that you just, you know, oh, it just makes people bristle, bristle, bristle. But if we don't cover these chapters, we don't cover the subject, then we're not doing what we need to do, and that's help others recover. Okay, before we turn it back over to Maria, I'm going to ask a couple of things. A, no math. No math under any circumstance. Number two, if you asked a question last week, please hang back and let people who did not ask a question last week come to the forefront. And uh, Maria, with that, and we will be meeting next week. Maria, with that, uh, I don't see any.